You can open with me to Romans chapter 10, and we will look at verses 9 through 13, and may even venture over a little bit further this morning. We'll look at a faith-filled confidence, and if you have your half sheet, you can pull that out and uh, take some notes if you would so desire. But as has been our custom the past several months, on the first Sunday of the new month, we've been looking at the scripture memory for the month because uh, we want to both memorize and learn these scriptures, but also internalize them so that they become something that we live out. We don't just want to memorize and we got that, we check off the box of memorization, but we want to understand how these verses play into our everyday existence as believers. That we don't just memorize so that we have a recipe for uh, just uh, knowledge of these things, but we want to understand Scripture in such a way that it changes us. That's always the goal of Scripture reading, uh, Scripture memory, Scripture saturation, is that so Scripture would change us. Not that we come to Scripture and say, can I find what I'm looking for, but so that Scripture would change our hearts first and foremost. And so I pray as we go through Scripture memory, it's not an exercise in futility, but it is uh, something that changes our hearts to allow us to be different when we leave the back doors of Stakely Sanctuary than when we walked into them this morning. So Romans 10, 9 through 13, uh, we know the first part, I do believe and do hope, but it says... Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Just a little side note, that is your scripture memory for the month of August. So you can go ahead and be preparing for that. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive right in. Dear Lord, would you allow our hearts to be open and receptive? Always recognize that uh, from every pew, from the left to the right, to the front, to the back, that we've all walked into this place. We've all turned on our computers, our phones to watch with something on our, on our minds and something on our hearts. Whether it has been a tremendously difficult week full of detours and speed bumps or whether we have skated through with much rejoicing in our hearts, all of us come to this place in a different place. But we've all come here with a singular purpose and that's to worship you, Lord, and to learn more about you so that we can then impact both ourselves and the influence that you have given us outside of this place. So Lord, would you, would you fill us now so that we can be poured out? Would you teach us, Lord? Show us what you're calling us to. And would we respond accordingly? It's in your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if y'all are much into uh, these shows on TV that walk you through a specific crime or a murder type situation and you get watching it and it's 7 o'clock and it becomes about 7.50 and you're thinking they've got a lot to wrap up in 10 minutes, right? A lot to wrap up. And so you're sitting there waiting on uh, the police to get a confession from this individual and you're sitting there looking at your clock and it's, it's 7.55. They've got, a, they've got a lot to wrap up. And then it's, 801 hits, and you realize this show goes on till like 9.30. And you're like, 
You got a lot, a lot to accomplish here, right? You've been there, though, and you're waiting on the confession. You're waiting. Who is the person? Who did it? And you just want to know, and you can't go to sleep. You're up all night thinking, did they catch this person? Did they confess? What's happening, right? And eventually, you get to that last five minutes after two and a half hours worth of, of TV for like 30 minutes of actual content by the time commercials get in the way of everything, and the cliffhangers and the recapping, and you get to that final five minutes, right, where the confession happens. That the murderer or the offendant confesses to all that they have done in the past, right? They confess and everything works out in the end and they put him in jail and, and everything's good because of the confession. The confession is what everything hinges on. They can get that confession. They can get that evidence that backs up all that they've spoken. Well, this morning, a lot hinges on this simple word, confession. Because if you confess with your mouth and you are not confessing to a murder that you have done or a crime that you have committed. Not in the same sense, but this confession still has much weight because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's look, number one, at outward evidence for an inward trust. Outward evidence, number one on your outline, outward evidence for an inward trust. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is that Jesus is the authority of our lives, that Jesus is the leader of our life, that Jesus is the utmost authority in our life, that there is no other, that there is no fallback plan, that Jesus is the ultimate authority and leader in our lives. I'm speaking to kids when we have our baptism tours at the church. When a kid is interested in coming to faith or wanting to be baptized, we talk about not necessarily Jesus being the Lord of your life, because that's, a, that's an abstract term for a lot of kids. We talk about Jesus being the leader of your life. Kids understand, follow the leader in grade school and walking around following a leader, doing as the leader prescribes and what the leader says. And so even as a child, we understand what a leader means. Well, Jesus is the ultimate. The Lord is our ultimate leader in life, that he would lead, guide, and direct our steps, that he is the Lord of our life, that he is the ultimate authority and lordship. So when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, this is not a confession saying, Jesus, you are one of many in my life, that you are sitting on one of the thrones of my life. We are saying, Lord, you are the ultimate authority in my life, and nothing even comes close. And I recognize that many of us have been in the church for a very long time, and so it's easy for us to say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, and he's my life. But when we get down to the nitty-gritty and the daily grind of our life, do we see Jesus being the Lord of all daily? Do we see ourselves running to the Lord and saying, Lord, what are you calling me to today? Lord, would you show up today? Would you lead me, Lord, this day? In the biggest decisions of my life, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need you to lead me and guide me. Lord, I'm wanting to follow you. I'm wanting to stand under your authority, not my own desires and whims and whatever I would desire. Lord, I'm wanting your leadership in my life. I mean, you could say, who's the boss? Who is the boss of your life? I think we would quickly, as believers, say, well, Jesus is, right? We know Jesus is the answer to everything. So we're quick to say Jesus is the Lord. He's the boss. But when you begin to look at the decisions that we make, the conversations that we have, the places that we go, the, the things that we think, is Jesus 
the boss and the Lord of your life. And oh, how I wish I could answer that for you and just say, yeah, I think, no, it's a question for each of us to internalize and ask, Lord, are you truly the leader of my life? Am I allowing you to take the wheel of my life? Lord, am I coming to you, asking your wisdom to prevail in my life? And so I don't know when it was for you that you cried out to the Lord and confessed your sin and said, Jesus, you are Lord. But you weren't just hedging your bets to say, Lord, you are one of many or you are one of the many ways to heaven. Not saying, Lord, if if there's another way or there's other things, Lord, that you are also leading my life. I I don't know if y'all around Christmas time watch the famous movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, It's one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. And I know that that is fighting words for many of you. Uh, But It's a Wonderful Life is one of the greatest uh, Christmas movies, maybe one of the greatest movies of all time. And there's something that stuck in me from an early age watching as uh, they had the run on the bank. You remember early on that uh, the, George uh, was closing down, going on honeymoon, and he went by the bank, and everybody's, and by this point, y'all, this is not a spoiler, okay? The movie's been out for quite some time. So if you haven't watched it, it is your own fault, all right? So they have the run on the bank, and at, at the end of the day, they have like $2 left. And it, something's just stuck with me that there could be a run on a bank, and go and get your money, and you're left with nothing. And so with our little family uh, money here, I've got some money over here in this bank, some money over here, a little bit over here, just assuming that there could be a run on bank. I'm going to be all right. It's ter- terrible, but it's just been instilled in me. I don't know why, but I have a little bit here, a little bit here, and just a tiny little bit here, and a little bit here, and just spread out. So if there's a run on the bank, I'm going to be all right. And in some ways, this is how we kind of hedge our bets of our faith. Right, that we're, we're trusting in the Lord with most of our life, but you know what? He's not, he's not really here in my business because I've got that thing pretty well under control in my business, so I don't really need the Lord here. I've got him tucked away very nicely in this pot, but you know what? I've got things under control here at, in my workplace. I, I'm fine. I don't, he's over here in this bank, and I've got another bank right here. My family, let's kind of let's merge these two. These are kind of good things for the Lord to be a part of here, but I'm going to keep them here and still keep them here. And we have all these little buckets and banks in which we keep different parts and we have authorities here and we're different here. Friends, Jesus is the authority in every area, every avenue, every relationship, every con- He is Lord of all. And so as we come to this and we say, Jesus, I am confessing with my mouth that you are Lord We're giving him everything. I can't emphasize what everything means. We are giving him everything. We are giving him our life, our all, our thoughts, our actions, our future, our plans. We're laying them down and saying, Lord, they are yours. So this is what we do when we say, we're confessing with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. I would remind you in James chapter 2, the Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder in terror at who God is. So just simply believing that there is a God somewhere up in heaven, that he is the big man upstairs and he's up there and one day maybe I'll make it someday. It's simply not enough. Even the demons believe in God and they actually shudder in terror at the reality of who God is. There's a difference. The demons don't put their trust and their faith and their hope in Jesus. 
So when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Let me tell you, this is, this is much different than just saying a word, saying, Lord, you're, you're my Lord, and then going and living as if it has no consequence in our life. It doesn't mean just repeating a prayer, and it means nothing in our hearts. It means that we give him our life and our all. There's something to this public proclamation. We see in Matthew and Mark and Luke that Jesus would say, everyone who acknowledges me before men will acknowledge before the Father. In the book of Timothy, we see that Paul encourages Timothy, saying, you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. That there's something to this public proclamation saying, I am not ashamed of what Jesus is doing in my heart. I'm not ashamed of what Jesus has done in and through me. And I want to share it. I want to confess it. I want to make a public proclamation of my faith. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Outward evidence for an inward trust. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Number two on your outline, you see the simple phrase that we all need Jesus. Hey, I get it. This is not that deep of a message, but I need to hear it over and over and over again, right? That we all need Jesus. All of us, Jew, Greek, rich, poor, whether you got it together or whether you don't, we all need Jesus. All of us in this room, there's not a soul in here who can skate by into heaven without Jesus. Not happening. Just can't. We all desperately need Jesus. And as we've looked at our passages of Scripture, what have we seen? The wages of sin is death. Death, not semi-death, not maybe you'll make it. The wages of sin is death. We follow that up with all have sinned and fallen short. The word all simply means all of us, yourself included. So with those two things in mind, we recognize that we all desperately need Jesus. As I shared the gospel this past week with our Vacation Bible School uh, friends, we went through the ABCs of salvation. And we talked about that A sometimes is the hardest one for us to come to terms with, the admit that we are a sinner. Over my life, I have broken my arms uh, two times here and two times here, right? Twice on this arm, twice on this arm. I told the kids this uh, on Wednesday of this last week that I have broken my arms twice each side. I got, uh, you can tell, a brittle body here, uh, not made for much. But so two arms here, two arms here. First grade, broke my arm. And backyard, my brother playing tackle football, and my arm went from being a straight line to having many jagged shapes in the arm. Now, sitting in the backyard, uh, my brother saying, get up, you're fine, with a jagged arm. I have some options. First option, I can call a lawyer, right? (laughs) It's the world we live in. Call a lawyer. I want to sue my brother. He has injured me. And I want to get every bit from my brother's piggy bank that I possibly can because this is bad, right? So I have a lawyer. That's an option. It's a terrible option, but it's an option, right? I could call a teacher, and a teacher could show me all the humorous and the ulna, I hope I got that right, teachers in my life, uh, that what I've broken and what's happened here, they can show me all the physiology of all the things that have happened here, but again, does not fix the problem. Lawyer does not fix the problem. 
teacher does not fix the problem. I can sling my arm. I can hold it in a sling. I can look at it and just say, I hope you get fixed. But at some point, I've got to make my way to a doctor. It's got to happen. At some point, I can recognize I've got a problem that is so great, I cannot fix it, and I've got to go seek a doctor. At some point, we've got to recognize that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. On the flip side, in seventh grade, playing basketball, I caught a basketball off my pinky and broke my pinky. Didn't want to come out of the game, so kept playing. Never went to the doctor, and I have got a messed up pinky to this day. And I think there's something to that, not just that our sin is like a messed up pinky or a broken arm with jagged lines, but what, what, I, what I fear at times is that there are places in which we recognize, man, my arm is completely messed up. There are lines and jagged lines of bone shards going all different ways. My arm is completely messed up. And unless I go to a doctor, I will not be healed. But there are other times and places in our life that we look like this little pinky. It is just as broken. But we think, you know what? It's probably going to be fine. I don't need to go to a doctor. I don't need to pull myself out of this game. It'll be all right. It'll heal. It'll be fine. And at times we look at our own sin and flesh in the same way. That's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of an issue. It's not, that, it's not hurting anybody. It'll, it'll heal at some point on its own. It'll, it'll be all right. In that last day, surely the Lord will let me in. I've been a good person. Friends, we all desperately need Jesus. Desperately. And there may be a part of us that would say, Mark, we've heard this a thousand times. Well, we need to hear it a thousand and one. I need to hear it a thousand and one times. You never grow tired of reminding ourselves of our desperate need of Jesus. Because at the moment that we forget, we begin to go on our own separate ways. We begin to think that somehow we can earn our way in or we're good enough to make it. Or at some point we begin to think that the people around us who don't know the Lord don't need the Lord because they're simply just maybe okay and they'll make it on their own. But we all desperately need Jesus. And friends, we're not the doctor, but we know where the doctor's office is. We know how to get there. We know how to take people to him. We know the anecdote to our sin, and it's our Savior, Jesus. So why would we let people linger with broken arms and messed up femurs and all sorts of stuff? Why would we not take people to the source of salvation? We all desperately need Jesus. And then number three would tell us that faith does not put us to shame. Faith that does not put us to shame. As you look in verse 11, it says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Other translations, I think, say this so beautifully. They say, Everyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. I think that's such a good word. That as we trust and if we put our belief in him, as we put all of our eggs in the basket of the Lord Jesus, we're not going to be disappointed. How good a line is that? We're not going to be put to shame. We're not going to be disappointed that on that last day, either when the Lord would call us home or when he would come back, we're not going to be disappointed about the detours that life took us. We're not going to be disappointed about the speed bumps or the detours or the things that happened that we don't understand on this side of heaven. We're not going to be disappointed in that final day. We're not going to be sitting at the gates of heaven saying, Lord, if 
Maybe if I'd just done a few more things, you would let me in. No, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will not be disappointed on that final day. We see twice in these few verses that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we trust in the Lord Jesus with our lives, if we give him our all, we're not looking at a situation one day that we'll be put to shame where we'll say, Lord, I, I don't understand what's happened here. I put everything trusting in you. Why then have you put this to shame? Why is this not real? We trust in a faith that does not disappoint. That even though on this side of heaven there are things that maybe don't make sense, things that we grieve over and we mourn over, but on that final day, when the Lord would bring us home or take us home, or where we would bring or breathe our last on this side of heaven, we will recognize that our faith has not disappointed us, that we are not left lacking, that there is no more tears or crying or mourning or shame because of Jesus, because of what he has done. So a faith that does not put us to shame. Then I want to want to continue for just a moment because in light of all of this, of what we just read, if you would go on in your Bibles to verse 14, because there's a, there's something else that we need to see, a reminder of our mission here. As you look in verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful segue to go into verse 14 that says, Well, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me get that through for just another second. Re let this hit your heart. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they who have not believed? They're supposed to call on Jesus whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? And how are they to hear about him without someone preaching to them or teaching them? And how are they to preach or teach unless they are being sent? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want to remind us of our mission. That we are a church that desires to send people out. This past week as our New Orleans family mission trip was about to leave from the parking lot of Scott Street. We gathered for a time of prayer from those moms and dads who are gonna be serving alongside their sons and daughters on mission in New Orleans, and they have had just a fantastic week. But as we stood in the parking lot and prayed together, we looked to the sign right at the Scott Street parking lot that says, you are now entering the mission field. And I was stuck by that reminder that this team leaving the Scott Street parking lot to go out to do mission, to speak and love and care for those in New Orleans that the Lord would put upon their place, that the moment that their tires hit the, the asphalt on Perry Street, they were on mission. It didn't start when they made it to New Orleans and began to talk to the people of New Orleans. It started as soon as their tires hit the asphalt of Perry Street. You know the same is true for you too? That your mission begins the moment you crank up your car and leave Perry Street to go out to wherever the Lord would take you. And as a church, our calling is to build you up, to prepare you for what would come your way this upcoming week. To fill you up, to send you out. 
that we are prepared to share. That's why this past week we sent a team to New Orleans to be equipped and prepared so that moms and dads can serve along their kids. That's why Bill and Jim were in Brazil this past week sharing the good news about Jesus. That's why our youth choirs are sent to New Orleans and to Pittsburgh and to the ends of the earth here to share and sing the good news. That's why our Missions Montgomery youth team spent time ministering in Montgomery. That's why we're sending a team to Cuba in the coming weeks that we are prepared to send out and go. That's why we partner with the IMB to send missionaries across the face of this planet to share the good news of Jesus with people who may have never heard it. That's why through the North American Mission Board, churches are planning in hard-to-reach places. That's why we send people out. That's why we are praying for new missionaries to be sent up and built up through our church that we can send you out to where the Lord has called you to go. But know as you leave the place this morning, as you exit through the back doors of Stakely Sanctuary, your mission has begun. Because we recognize how are they to call on him who they have not believed and how are they to believe in him if they have never heard. And we can believe that everybody in Montgomery, Alabama has heard the name of Jesus. We can believe falsely that everybody has already heard all that they're going to need to know so we have no need to tell anybody about Jesus. Friends, we need to go to where the Lord has called us to go. Let verses 14 through 15 ring true in your heart that you would be called to live on mission, that you would take all that we've talked about, Romans 10, 9 through 13, the pathway to salvation, and then you would take it with you. It does little good if what we know and sing about just simply stays here within the walls of this church. It's meant to go. And so final thing on your outline is simply this. Learn it to live it. Learn it to live it. Learn these truths so that we can live it. Learn these truths of gospel truth so that we can live them out in the world around us. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for on this day and this weekend that we celebrate the freedom that we have in you. Lord, that we have gained freedom because of Christ Jesus. And I pray that we would utilize the opportunities that come across our pathway each and every day. That we would not wait until we enter the mission field in Cuba or New Orleans or Pittsburgh or wherever the Lord would take us before we begin to live on mission. That we would daily see the opportunities around us that people are in desperate need of Jesus. Lord, I pray first and foremost you would, you would touch our own hearts. That we would live on mission for you. But first and foremost, before we live on mission, we first must, much, must drink deeply of the gospel truth that we were sinners saved by God's grace. It's a message that we've got to hear over and over and over in our hearts that we never grow tired of. So Lord, teach us again. Show us afresh and anew, again, the glorious truth of the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.